Hello, church family. My name is Abigail Harms, and I am so happy to be with you here today worshiping. Today's passage comes from Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness, righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Abigail. Well, we've been speaking this summer to different kind of parts of our congregation. If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, we spoke about beauty and creation and, and how we as Christians should rightly think about these things. Uh, and even just judging from my community group conversation this week, that's something that I think we need to be talking more about and thinking even more deeply about. Um, I think it was a helpful conversation for the life of our church. But this week and over the next couple of weeks, we want to take some time to speak to a, a very large part of our congregation, and that is particularly those of you who are single, those of you who are, are not married. Uh, and I think that the Bible has a, a lot to, to say to you, and, and there's some helpful things to think through. We live in a time where there's actually more Americans who are single than are married. And that's pretty reflective in the life of our church. All, nearly half of our congregation, of our adult congregation, um, is single. Now, it's an interesting time to be single, particularly as a Christian. The secular world kind of idolizes singleness and kind of shames marriage. I mean, the message of kind of a secular world would be, why would you marry, right? Why would you bind yourself to another person, why wouldn't you just be free and have fun and live for your individual happiness? Why would you marry? The church, on the other hand, can kind of idolize marriage, right? So while the world can idolize singleness, the church can oftentimes idolize marriage. There's this sense, and obviously I hope it's not true here, but there's a sense in a lot of churches where if you're a single adult, it's, it's kind of like the message, as one of my friends said when she was visiting a church, oh, you're single? Well, we have a place for you to go, and maybe you'll meet someone there, and then you can really be a part of the life of our church, right? But is that really... God's design? Is this simply a holding pattern? Is this, is singleness something that should be cured by marriage? Uh, we uh, oftentimes, again, 
in church world recognize, um, as I said, the culture of the world that kind of can idolize singleness or some potential sins of singleness or maybe even some of the immaturities that often accompany singleness. But, but is our inclination in that right to just push people to marriage and say, well, that'll fix everything. That'll make you happy. So I want to speak to that. Another uh, thing that I, I want to speak to over the next few weeks is just some of the realities of singleness. When you are single, um, it can be a lonely time. Uh, it can be a lonely long time. If for those of you who may be called to be single for the rest of your life, uh, it can be an isolated time. It, it can be an exhausting time. Uh, when you don't have any what I'll call like covenantal relationships that are close at hand, marriage or being close and covenanted with your parents even, you, you, you feel like you have to prove yourself all the time. It, it, the single life can, can be a time of marketing relationships, if you will, marketing that you're really strong enough or smart enough or worthy enough. It can be a time of dealing with rejection. It can be a time of feeling very unsettled. And so I want to spend three weeks kind of thinking about this. In two weeks, so two weeks from today, we're going to look at the usefulness of singleness, why I believe, and we're going to talk about this just a little bit today, that God has actually called some of you to singleness, either for a season or for a long season, for the sake of His purposes. And there's good in that, and, and there's, there's God's glory and use in that. Next week, I want to look at dating and marriage and, the, and sex, God's design for these things, which is obviously a huge part of being single, something people think about a lot in their single years. And then this, but this week, I want to think about, if you will, the singles of singleness, <laughs> the reality of being alone, unattached in the kind of way that you're attached when you're married or when you have children. Now, when we were talking about this series in our preaching meeting this week, it came up, well, what about all the married folks in the church? What are they going to do for three weeks? And first, I want to say, if you're kind of thinking that, I've been to churches and there's been a lot of sermon series on marriage and on parenting, and the single folks are just supposed to sit there with their hands folded and listen, right? So now it's time for you married folks to sit there with your hands folded and listen. Yeah. No, but, but the truth of the matter is, is we are a body, right? And so if, if one of our body, if a part of our body is concerned with this, we're all concerned with this. This is important for all of us as a family of believers together, or as Lou Priolo kind of morbidly said in our teaching meeting this morning, one, year, one day all the married people, their spouse is going to die and they'll be single again. So they should get ready for that. So I think it's a useful, <laughs> it's a useful service series for all of us, however you like to think about it. Our passage from Isaiah 56, I think it's a particularly helpful passage, particularly for the person that feels a little bit like an outsider, that feels a little bit disconnected, that, that's struggling a little bit that maybe is in a, a particular time of, of fear or anxiety, because that's exactly the context that we drop into in this passage. It's a reminder from the prophet that hope is in the Lord, that God's salvation, that His righteousness 
is coming, so stay faithful. But it was a hard time to believe that. It was a hard time to hold on to that. If you remember the story of Israel, the, God had dramatically blessed this nation. And it wasn't a time where the message of God and His glory being known was a go-and-tell time, right? We live in a go-and-tell era of God and His work with His people. We just prayed for missionaries. We want to see church planners go forward. We want to see our church multiplied. We believe in evangelism, right? We, we believe that God has given us this amazing gift in earthen vessels that we are to go and tell this beautiful gospel message. And, and, and through that going and through that telling, we want to see people from all tribes and nations and languages come to know the Lord and gather around the throne of God, right? None of us or most of us are not descendants of Abraham, right? We have been told, someone has told us the news of salvation, and that is how we've come in. But in this, in the Old Testament, it wasn't a go and tell as much as it was a come and see. Come and see the blessing of the Lord. Come and see how God cares for His people. Come and see what God has done for His people. And that was happening. It wasn't as normative as today where we're going and telling people uh, of all tribes and tongues, but people from all different people groups were coming to Israel and coming to believe that the Lord of Israel, that Yahweh was God. And they would adopt the practices of Israel and the faith and the language, and they, the men would be circumcised. In fact, in the lineage of Jesus, the only four women that are, men, that are mentioned in the lineage were foreigners. They were people that weren't descendants of Abraham, but had come to be a part of God's people. And not just a part of God's people, so much a part of God's people that they would be a part of preserving the line. Bathsheba, who's one of those women that is mentioned before uh, the tragedy happened where King David had her husband killed. Her husband, Uriah, was one of these kind of men. He was a Hittite. And somehow Bathsheba and Uriah, I don't know how, we don't know the backstory, had come to believe that Yahweh was the Lord. They had come into the people of Israel. But there was a little divide among those folks. They were kind of known as the foreigners, right? It's Uriah the Hittite, the foreigners who had come in. And particularly in this passage, if you'll notice with me in verse 3, let not the foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. So this is a time, the context, this, when the prophet Isaiah was speaking, was a time of great unrest and turmoil, as I mentioned, among the people of God. If you remember... From the time of King David, from the time of King Solomon, the nation had split into two. And, 12, and 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel had formed this northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And two of the tribes had formed this southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. A lot of the dealings of the Old Testament actually have to deal with the southern tribe. And that's what's happening here. Isaiah is speaking to people of Judah. But what has happened just north of them among the people of Israel, and this has just happened, is that the Assyrians, an enemy nation, has come and devastated the people of Israel. They've ripped them away from their homeland. They've ripped them away from their houses. They've ripped them away from their places and put these people of the northern kingdoms in Israel. And it was a nerving time in the southern kingdom. Will this happen to us? 
They had a lot of enemies. The Babylonians were staring them down. Will this happen to us? Will we be taken away too? And to the foreigner, what if I'm taken away? I've already, I've already gone away from my native people. Will I be forgotten in all of this? Will God forsake me if I'm taken away from the land, if I'm ripped away by these foreign nations? What is to become of me? The other group that is being mentioned here were the eunuchs. Now, eunuchs were single by choice. They were people that served the king's court and remained unmarried. And in this time, having children was so important to your identity, to who you were. It's how you would live on. We, we, it's, it's, it's less pressing today. We're too individualistic, or we're more individualistic at least than these people were. So we don't think about our generations living on in a particular place, in a particular land. But that's how these people thought. He, he, the, the statement there, don't let the eunuch say, I'm only a dry tree. You know, I was thinking about this. The trees, and some of the trees in my backyard, some of them were probably little saplings around the time of the Civil War. I mean, these are huge old trees. I and mean, it's an amazing thing to think about. And then I think about their parents, those trees' parents, right? The tree that dropped the seed that became that other tree. I mean, those trees could have dated back to the time when it was only Native Americans. There's no European settler. No, nobody else had come into this place. And you think about their parents. Man, you can get just a few generations of trees. You can get a long way ago really fast. Well, that's the reference here. Who, who are going to be my trees that follow after me? I'm only a dry tree. What generations will come after me and keep my name along and establish my identity among these people? I'm just a eunuch. I'm only single. How will I have offspring? And I love God's message to them. Look at this. Look at this reassuring message of the Lord. He says in verse 4, to the eunuch who keep my Sabbath, who choose to do the things and please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And so what the prophet is speaking here, he's speaking to the foreigner, he's speaking to the eunuch, he's speaking to all the people, and he's saying to them, in this time when you feel out of place, foreigner, in this time where you fear that you will have any sort of identity beyond your life, eunuch, remember that I am your shield. I am your identity. Don't hope in this land. Don't hope in the fact that you're married. Don't hope in your offspring. Don't hope in the establishment of this people. Hope in me. I am your shield. I am your identity. I am the one that will make a monument for you. I will bless you from generation to generation in my household, says the Lord. And here's the, here's the message that I have for you. That was the message of the prophet to the people in this very uncertain time. But the message that I have for you, particularly to the person that's here today that feels out of place, that feels unsettled, that's asking those questions, who am I going to be? What's my life going to be like? How am I going to be important? I actually have a better word for you than even the prophet Isaiah. Here the prophet was speaking on behalf of God, but the message I have for you is that God himself has come to know you, to draw close to you, to invite you in to the blessing 
and to the household of God. This is the message of the gospel, that through Christ, you and I can have an identity, not in our children or our relationships or in our successes, which ultimately are very short anyway, but we can have an identity in God himself. He is your shield. He is your reward. He is your protection. And so with that in mind, anchored in that, the good news of the gospel to the married person, to the child, to the widowed, to the divorced person, to the person who's never been married, anchored in that good news of the gospel, I, I want to I give you a couple of practical things to think about, particularly if you're single here today. Number one, God has uniquely gifted the body of believers, the church, and he's given some, I want you to hear this if you're single, God has given some of you the gift of singleness so that the fullness of Christ may be manifested, may be on display among us. Some of you, I want you to hear this, God has called and gifted to be single so that the fullness of God would be on display among us. Marriage says something about the character and the nature of God. It says something about the gospel. Paul explains this in Ephesians 5, this mystery that I'm referring to, this profound mystery of marriage, that it refers to Christ in the church. If you were here last week, I, I mentioned the movie The Notebook. The reason that we like stories like that, covenantal, never-ending, bounded love stories, is that there's something that those stories say to us, and that's what marriage does. It's a picture of God and his pursuit of the church, Christ is the husband who pursues his bride with sacrifice and love and deep devotion, who will never leave you, who holds fast to his bride. The, 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 the one flesh union of marriage, yes, is a picture of Christ and the church coming together. So yes, marriage, the married people, you have your place too. God is displaying something through you. But if you're single here today, there's something about you that God can display a truth about himself. You know, one of the interesting things, the single people, you experience, your experience on earth right now is more like the experience of Jesus because during Jesus' earthly life and ministry, he was single. The experience of humanity that Jesus knows is one of a single man. If you are single here today, there is something that you can know of the experience of Christ, of the, of the very earthly experience of Christ that married people cannot know. And thus, there is a part of the character of Christ, there is a part of the person of Christ that can actually be displayed through you to the body in a way that a married person cannot display it. God has called you to this. As you follow Jesus, as you identify with Jesus, even in his singleness, there is something of his glory that he wants to tell us. That's number one. Number two, very practical thing. God's called you to be, some of you to be single because number two, singleness is a gift because the single life actually makes you more dependent on the body on the church. I'm going to talk more about this here in just a second. This is my second point, really. But I just want to mention this. 
As a single person, it is easier for you to understand that these relationships, that this family, this family that God has called together, people of different ages, of different backgrounds, of different races, of different economic classes, it is God that has called you into this family. And when you are single, you can be more aware of that. You can recognize that, that these are my brothers and sisters without the distraction of an immediate family. As wonderful as an immediate family is, singleness is actually a gift in that it helps you understand your dependence and your being a part of the people of God, this family that God is assembling. A third way that singleness is a gift, the single life allows you to be more useful for the kingdom. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, look, you want to be useful for the kingdom? Be as I am. Be unbound. Isn't that interesting? The most useful Christian ever, the, the, the person who probably did the most for the sake of the church, never married Paul. Be as I am. Don't, don't, be, in, don't be encumbered by these things. Be as I am. Use your singleness, not for the sake of yourself, but to serve the church to give your life to others, to, 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 to be a powerful force for the kingdom of God. This is an amazing gift of singleness. Now, there's more I want to say on that. And then number four, very practically, the single life actually allows you to take greater risks for the kingdom of Christ. Paul actually says in that 1 Corinthians 7 passage I just mentioned, he says, in the current distress, I urge you to stay as I am. What he's talking about there is the current distress is the persecution that the church was facing, right? It's very hard to go into a persecuted area if you are caring for a spouse and children, right? It's very hard to risk your life for the gospel if you have children to care for, if you have a spouse to care for. But if you are single... Some of you, I want you to hear this, God may have called to singleness because he desires to send you to a place among a people who have never heard the good news of Christ, who are bound for eternal destruction, and who you might be the feet, <laughs> the beautiful feet. You might be the person because you're single, can go to this dangerous place for the sake of Christ, and through you, a gospel movement could, be could begin. That's actually a gift. That's actually God's promise. We need people like that in order for the gospel to fully go forward. God has uniquely gifted the body of believers, the church, and he's given some of you the gift of singleness so that the fullness of Christ may be manifested. So second big point, and this is so important to remember, the relationships that we have in Christ are more glorious and more eternal than any relationship we have on earth, including marriage. All earthly relationships, even marriage, are ultimately temporary. But your relationships with other believers, now again, I hope, you, hope you're married to another believer. So I hope your relationship with your spouse also is e an eternal relationship. But the nature of it will change in eternity. Jesus himself said, there's no marriage 
in heaven. The nature of our relationships on earth will all change in the kingdom. But I tell you what, the family aspect that we have with other believers are the most significant relationships they have in, that we have in our lives because these relationships are eternal. Look around you, right? Look around you. These other believers, we're going to be with each other for a long time, right? We in God's providence, in the gospel, are the people that God is calling to himself to be his people, to live in his kingdom with him forever, to manifest his glory. These are the people that God is assembling. And this fundamentally is your most foundational kind of relationship, those relationships that you have with other believers. And if you're a single person, finding life, as I said before, in the family of God is easier. It's easier to be more dependent. You, you can use your singleness to serve these kinds of relationships, these eternal relationships that you're going to have forever and forever. How kind of God in His providence that He has given you either a season or a lifetime to give yourself to relationships that you'll have forever. And I just want to say, it's very easy to waste your singleness living for yourself and not living for God's people and for his mission. It's very easy as a single person to go do something cool every weekend or go do something fun or go do this or go do that or get brunch with friends on Sunday or whatever it is and miss out on this beautiful opportunity that God has given you to invest into the only relationships that you will still have in 10,000 years. How eternal are these relationships? These are significant relationships that you have in your life. And, that, and that's what I'm going to say. Because of that, how we behave together really matters. The peace that we have, the reconciliation that we find as people of God, I want to say this, the way you date one another really matters. Primarily, when you take a girl out or when you go out with a guy, do you see them primarily as your brother or sister in Christ that you're going to know if they're a believer for the rest of eternity, or do you just see them as someone that you want to have a little fun with? Someone that may like me. And, and, and hopefully I can shift your thinking on that. Fundamentally, primarily, your relationship with other believers are eternal relationships. They're significant relationships. Jesus in Matthew 12, he was doing ministry, he was teaching, and his mother and his brothers came up. And somebody said, hey, Jesus, your mother's here, your brother's here. You know, I love what Jesus, I can imagine this moment. I can just see, he says, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And I can almost see him pointing at his disciples and saying, it's them, it's they. It's, it's, it's these people that God is calling to himself. It's they that do the will of the Lord. It's these people that we are bound together as the people of God. This is my brother. I just want to say that to you. Do you want to be the brother, the sister of Jesus? Do you want to be in the family of God, God's people? What a calling. You know, when I was a kid at church, we used to, we would end almost every service this way. We would sing this little song, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. And we would all join hands, and the last line of the song would go up. It would say, the family of God. And everybody would raise their hands. And, you know, it's kind of corny to think about now. But 
it's a good reminder. This is the family of God. These are the people that God is assembling for himself. These are the relationships that are going to be eternal. The relationships that we have in Christ are more glorious and more eternal than any temporary relationship that we have on earth. And then finally, in light of the gospel, I want to remind you of it and remind you of who you are and what you have in Christ. And so the third point is this. When we understand the supremacy of Christ and the indescribable blessing that it is to have a relationship with him, all other blessings, marriage, children, a long life, success in business, all other blessings pale in comparison. You know, we always do a little icon for our series, like on the cover of your bulletin, there's like a little Rock of Gibraltar thing. We always do this for all of our series. We have a little icon, and we're trying to think like, what is an icon for a message series on singleness? And we were brainstorming about it, and I asked Imriana, my nine-year-old daughter, I said, Imriana, what are you, you got any ideas? And she says, what about a cloud? And uh, I think we have a little, a little slide. She said, what about a cloud? I was like, okay, you know, this is my nine-year-old. I said, why that? And she says, well, you know, when you're single, you're always dreaming about things. I was like, pretty insightful, you know. <laughs> you've, been, you've been hanging out with a lot of our single adults, I see, Amrianna. <laughs> well, she's right. Oh, well, one day I'm going to have this. One day my life's going to be like this. One day I'm going to have this. One day my life's going to be like that. You know, you dream about having authority, right? Especially when you're young and single. I want to have authority. I'm going to give myself to my work so people respect me and have authority. I want to have authority in this or that. I want the church. I just want to say to you, this is it, my single brothers and sisters here. If you know Christ, he is supreme in authority. You already have in him all authority. You know the one who has all authority all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is the one from the foundation of the world who started speaking. And the world came into existence. And when he came, he proved his authority. I mean, I love the story of Jesus out on the sea. The wind and the waves are crashing, and he's asleep on the boat, and the disciples are afraid, and Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And he says, peace be still. I have authority over the waves. I have authority over the wind. I have authority over the water. And they listen to his voice. I just want you to hear this. All the other authorities that you go after, the authority of work, the authority of relationships, they're all small. They're all short. They don't last. But Christ has supreme authority, and he's come close to you. You know him. Look to him. You know, single people, they dream about having something that lasts, right? We want something that lasts. We want something that'll go on. You know, I listened to the podcast, This American Life, and there was this one I listened to a few years ago about a single person, and, and the brevity of life started haunting them. We've all, you've all had that moment. You have that moment where the brevity of life really begins to haunt you. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I've graduated college. <laughs> I can't go back and do that. Oh my gosh, I'm already married. 
I can't go back and do that. Oh my gosh, I'm over 30, I'm over 40, I'm over 50. My life's really getting away from me. The brevity of life started haunting this guy. And so his response to that was to record everything. That's what it was about. This guy that just recorded everything all the time. He wanted to hold on to his life. And so he, he actually missed life by recording, by videoing his whole life. But it, it, he was haunted by the shortness of it all. Don't you know that your life is a vapor that appears for a time and then vanishes? But I want you to hear this. Jesus is eternal. He is supreme in his agelessness. He never began. He never ends. And in him you have life that goes on and on and on and on. So as you dream about wanting something that lasts, remember you already have the one who exists, period. As single people, we want somebody to be there for us, constant companion, somebody that won't let us down. I, I remember when I was single, I would, I would have these Mrs. D's moments. This is before I knew Paige, but I'd be traveling or I'd be somewhere, and I'd think to myself in the loneliness of my singleness, I wish Mrs. D's was here right now. Yeah, I wish, I wish the person that's going to be with me could enjoy this too. I didn't even know Mrs. D's. There was no Mrs. D's. But I wish I had that companion that I could share this with, that I could get the compounding interest of sharing more and more and more experiences with. Man, you get that when you're single. But here's the deal. Even the best companion, even the best wife, even your most faithful friend, all companions ultimately let you down, even if they don't mean to, even if it's not their fault, just because they're limited. They can't always be there for you. I remember when I was in, in high school one time, it was like a tough two-a-day Labor Day practice, and the coaches just killed us. And afterward, I got these horrible cramps in my legs. It went on for literally hours. I just, I'd gotten dehydrated, just these horrible cramps. And my dad, good old John Dees, just sat there with me. And he rubbed out those cramps and he took care of me. It was just one of these tender moments of parenting. We are like, man, I'm glad I got a dad that loves me. I remember a few years later, I was backpacking in Northern California and the same kind of thing, it was hot, and I was all by myself, and I hadn't had enough water to drink, and you know, I, was, I was young and foolish and thought I didn't need a bunch of water. And so I, same thing, I was up on this mountain, climbing up this hill, and I got all these horrible cramps. I mean, I just could, it was debilitating cramps in my legs, couldn't walk, and I'm all alone on this mountain, Northern California, cramps in my legs. I'm thinking to myself, is a mountain lion going to come and get me? And I remember in that moment thinking, man, I wish my dad was here right now to rub these cramps out of my leg, to take care of me like he did that day. But he wasn't there because he was 2,000 miles away. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. He just he wasn't there. He's not, he can't be everywhere. I was all alone. Even your best companion will let you down. But I want you to hear this. In that moment, I had this overwhelming presence that the very presence of Christ was there with me that God was there with me. I wasn't alone. The one who is the sure companion, who will always be there with me, was with me. I was talking to a guy in our church that had gone through a divorce. And, you know, he had a family, a sad, horrible situation. 
And all of a sudden, his life went from being so busy, so full, energy around him all the time, and he's sitting alone in an apartment all the time. And he said, you know what, Jason? In that apartment, during those years when I was so down and so alone, the creator of the universe was ministering to me. He was close to me. He's like, and I, I felt his presence. I understood his, that he was there in, in ways like I never had before. Jesus is supreme in his constancy. He is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's with you, don't you see? And when we're single, of course, we, we want somebody who'll love us. And I just want to tell you, Jesus is supreme in his love. Don't you know how much you already are loved? Jesus loves you like no one else can love you. No one else has the capacity to love you like Jesus loves you. You know, you know it's like, you know how you know someone loves you? It's, it's the person that when you're at your worst is standing with you, right? That's how you know someone's loving you. When you're at your very worst, they're the people that are there. They're the people that come close when you're embarrassed. Yeah, I've given this illustration 20 times at Christ's Covenant. You've probably heard it, but it's so telling. You know, imagine if everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever thought, you know, the Bible says that God judges the thoughts and intentions of our heart. All the secret thoughts that you had this week, last week, all the secret thoughts that you've ever had, all the deeds you've ever done, all the intentions you've ever had, what if I could put them up on the screen and show the whole world, say, hey, this is who she really is. <laughs> Won't you see what her heart is like? This is who he really is. Won't you see what he was thinking about just then? And of course, everybody that I've offered that to has said, no, <laughs> I would never want you to do that. And the reason is because who we really are, the, the, the condition of our hearts it's actually really embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing before other people. It's particularly embarrassing before a holy God. But as you think about that moment, I've just shown the movie, who would be there with you? Maybe your parents would be like, look, please don't blame me. I know I raised a lousy kid, but I'll stand with them. You know, maybe your spouse some of your spouses, if they really knew what you were thinking about all the time, they'd be out too. Who would stand with you when everything is known? And I just want you to hear this. This is the kind of love that Jesus has. This is when Jesus steps in in particular. It's in that moment when your worst is known that not only does Jesus stand with you, He's actually willing to stand for you. The weight of that embarrassment, the weight of that shame, the weight of your sin, the weight of your heart that's turned away from the Lord is exactly, what, is exactly the record that Jesus took on to himself. It's exactly what Jesus was dying for in your place on the cross. God has demonstrated his magnificent, eternal, immeasurable 
Unlike anything else, love for you in this, in that while you were a sinner, when you were at your worst, in your most embarrassing moment, when all is known, when all your debts are being called by God himself, Jesus was willing to step in and not just stand next to you like, yeah, I guess, I mean, I'm not like him, but I'm, you know, I'll stay. But he was willing to stand in for you. He was willing to take on the embarrassment of that so that you could go free. He's supreme in his love. He's supreme in his authority. He's supreme in his righteousness. He's supreme in his knowledge, in his wisdom, in his power. He is supreme in his constancy. He is supreme in his eternal plan. He is supreme above all things. And when you recognize this single person, married person, old person, young person, all of these other things that you think are going to make you happy, all of these other things that you grab for and say, when I have this, when I have that, then I'll find my place, then I'll be complete. When you realize that through faith, through repentance and faith, you have Jesus, the supreme one of all, all of these other things pale in comparison to him. God has called some of you to be single, and it's a gift to hold on to Jesus. And maybe someday his plan for you is to be married, but that's not where happiness is found. It's not where joy is found. God is enough. <laughs> when you really know him, he is real joy. He is life. Jesus is life. And somewhere along the way, some of you have started to believe Marriage is life. When I get married, then I'll be happy. Work is life. If I could just get this promotion and get this job and make this much money, then I would be happy. Success or a good name or good reputation, that's life. I could just be known like this guy, then, then, I'd, be, then I'd be somebody. And you've traded who is supreme for something far less. But the good news of this moment is Jesus is supreme in his love. And all you have to do is to look to him, to look to him, to look to him, and life is there. To look to him in faith, and life is there. So let's keep looking to him. Let's keep believing, as the prophet said, my salvation is coming. My righteousness, my full righteousness, where everything is made whole and complete and good, will be on display. Let's pray. Father, keep our faith. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us faith to believe. Help us to see how good and right and powerful and whole and strong Jesus is and to find our place in him. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.